the last several months, we've been talking worship. What does it mean to worship the Lord? What does it mean to exalt the Lord? How does God call us to be worshipers in our day, in our life, in our times? The last several weeks, we've looked at aspects of worship on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day. Talked about worship in preaching and worship in singing. Today, we look at this, uh, this thing called Lord's Table. Through the centuries, it's been known by different names, the Eucharist, the Table of Thanks. It's been called the Agape Feast, the Table of Love. Communion table, our communion with one another and the Lord is celebrated. Here at Living Water, our term that we typically use is the Lord's Supper. How shall we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ in an appropriate and worshipful way? Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to look at verse 14 through 23. Luke chapter 22, verse 14, please. Oh Lord God, we ask that you bless the study, the reading, the proclamation of your word that you'd make us the people that you want us to be by your grace, by your mercy, by your spirit. Amen. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, they will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Pause there. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper, is really a continuation of the last supper. This was the last Passover meal that Jesus would eat. And what I mean by that is the last supper was a continuation of the Passover meal that the Jewish people celebrated year by year. The Passover meal, which we alluded to in Exodus 12 in the communion service, was a time that uh, was meant to be a memorial meal, a, a memorial celebration. Every year they'd gather for Passover, and every year they'd slaughter a lamb. They'd eat the lamb, they, they'd cook bitter herbs, and have other parts of the supper that were memorable and reflective and looking back to what God did. At uh, the beginning of every Passover meal, the host of the house would announce what was happening and, and re recite history and recite what was taking place so everybody would know that it was a memorable, memorable event, a symbolic event, a historical event that brought about their salvation. Uh, we see here that Jesus is... Uh, excited about this last Passover, the last time that he would eat it with his 
faithful brethren until the kingdom of God arrived. Now, that begs a lot and, and a lot of explanation. There is a time in the future when he will eat it again in the kingdom of God. There's a hopeful outlook to it. There's a future beyond for the people of God. There's a time and a place where we will gather again with the Lord Jesus as Christians. He uh, brings that up in the midst of the coming death. Now, we, we talk about what is the Lord's Supper portraying? What, what is this act of worship? Certainly, it is a proclamation of His death. It's a remembrance of what He accomplished on the cross. We gather week by week here at Living Water. Uh, churches throughout the ages have decided to do it differently. Uh, some gather once every quarter for the Lord's Supper. Some gather once a month. Here at Living Water, our preferred choice, our decision, was to be to meet week by week to constantly put ourselves in a position of commemorating his death, celebrating what he's done. There's been different understandings of what happens at the Lord's table. Perhaps you've been part of a church in the past that uh, looked at the elements differently than we do here. There are churches around who look at the, the, the bread and they say when the priest blesses that bread, it becomes the literal body of Jesus Christ. And the, the cup with wine, or in our case, grape juice, when that is blessed, it becomes the literal blood of Jesus Christ. And so, so for centuries and centuries, the worshipers in those churches weren't allowed to partake of the cup for fear that it would be spilled and the blood of Christ would be spilled. When Jesus says in this passage, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, we do not believe that he literally meant that. These are representations of his body, symbols, pictorial symbols pointing to what it entails, what he's talking about. But as we don't think that when Jesus said, I am the gate, that he became a literal gate, nor when he said, I, I am the door, he became a literal door, or I am the vine, he became a literal vine. Nor do we believe when he said, I am, this is my body, this is my blood, that these became literally his person. And so our proper understanding is that these are representations. These are symbols, symbols of power, no doubt. But in this meal, as Exodus tells us about the Passover meal, it's a memorial meal, a remembrance meal, a celebration meal, a glorifying of God meal for what he's done. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, please. Uh, the practice of the Lord's Supper started very early. Uh, this was, uh, 1 Corinthians, we believe, was probably written before the Gospels, so the Gospels give a report of the communion service, the Eucharist service. 
But uh, 1 Corinthians probably becomes, comes earlier than that. And so here we have an early report of the practice of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. What we find here is that uh, there are right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. Again, this act of worship, how do we best and acceptably worship the Lord God at the table? But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that there, those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Pause there for a moment. So early on, the church is gathered to commemorate the death of the Lord, to celebrate, to remember, to glorify Him for what He had done and what He had accomplished. And yet, here we see that Paul is struggling with what's happening in Corinth. Uh, there's a different setting, a different time, a different uh, way of things taking place back in Corinth. And maybe some other churches did this as well. But as part of the culture, uh, uh, the pagans coming out of the Gentile false worship of false gods, oftentimes there would be co communal meals, common meals that they'd have together. Uh, back in these days, there were no church buildings. There were no communal gathering spaces that were for the body. And so what they would do, would they, they would meet in uh, rich people's homes, people with large enough homes to have the house church gather. Maybe there were 20 people. Maybe there were 60 people. Uh, the tradition was that they kept, uh, and, and it fell away over time, and this passage might be a part of the reason why it fell away, was they'd gather for a, a, a meal together, real food, right, real drink. And, and it was supposed to be something that was uniting them, bringing them together. We are the body of Christ, whether slave or free, Greek or Jew, male or female, we're gathering as one. But the problem was, in the tradition of the day, in the culture of the day, um, they kept their divisions the Roman Empire was highly uh, a class-based world. Uh, the rich were here, the powerful were up here, the, 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 the shop owners were here, the, the poor people, the servants, the plebes, the slaves were down here, and you didn't mix. It's just the way it was. There are still societies in our day around the world where this is still the case, but the Roman Empire was famous for the divisions and so they gathered as a church in keeping with the command of meeting together week by week. And yet as they gathered in these wealthy persons' homes, the wealthy people kept the divisions, kept the classes in order. So they would have a, a dining area, the, the, the best part of the house where the, where the people would gather the, the wealthy, the rich, the powerful. And then in the atrium, the rest of the people would gather and unfortunately, what it seems was taking place 
was they'd gather as a church for worship and they'd have this meal and they'd be divided. And they'd even, it seems, carry on their divisions into the Lord's table. So they, they would bring, the, the rich people would have their sumptuous meals. They, they would have everything that they were used to, but the poor came in and all they got was the bread and the cup. They were actually, it seems, eating their sumptuous meals, their wealthy meals, their look-at-me-how-important-I-am meals in the presence of the poor and those who had nothing. And so they, they would go into their church service, they'd go into their worship service, and some would still be hungry, and the wealthy would be fat and happy. And Paul says, I have no praise for you in this. When you act this way like it's all about you, when you gather as a church and you're making it about you and, and, and you're not looking towards the Lord nor to your family and God, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating anymore. It's your supper. You're not honoring the Lord at His table. You're not glorifying Him. He purchased all of you by His blood. He redeemed you from slavery, all of you, rich or poor. He made you part of the family of God by grace and grace alone. And you dare bring your worldly divisions into the church, into the celebration of the table? May it not be. And so in verse 23, he says, let me remind you of what we're doing here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and you see the problem. They're not eating the Lord's table in remembrance of him. It's just another hoop they're going through, another thing they're doing. They've forgotten the Lord. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the, the first error that they have in their church is this selfishness, self-centeredness. And Paul, if you read the, the chapter before, Paul's all about, I came to serve you, and I, I came to bless others, and, and we, should, we should serve one another. We should put others first. And they're, they're not recognizing the body of Christ. They're not discerning the body of Christ. And it's a sin. Uh, the, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, when we gather, uh, when you took the cup this morning, when you took the bread this morning, what were you doing? What was being accomplished? What was, what was happening? How were you commemorating the death? By placing these elements on the table, we are proclaiming that a death happened. It was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Ancient of days, the Holy, Holy, Holy of Isaiah 6, the Almighty God, the God of the angel armies. He came and died and we remember him. We proclaim this death. And by saying that, we're proclaiming not just his death, of course. We're proclaiming the significance of it. When you took that bread and you put it in your mouth, that symbolic bread, and you took that, that, that 
cup and you drank it, you poured that out, you were saying by your actions that you received the significance of the death. You received the effect of the death of Jesus. You're saying by your actions, I have faith in what was accomplished at the cross. In fact, when you ate and drank, you're saying, I depend on the Lord Jesus for my salvation. I'm not depending on my own works anymore. I'm not depending on my family situation anymore, my family name. I'm not depending on my wealth. I'm not depending on my goodness. I'm not depending on anything. By eating and drinking, we are worshiping and saying, He did it all. He accomplished it all. When He died on the cross and when He said, It is finished, He achieved our salvation once and for all. At the table, when we eat and drink, we proclaim His death as salvific. We proclaim His death as saving us. The nourishment, as it were, bread and wine, when we take it in our bodies, our physical bodies are nourished. And so the, the message, the symbolism is by taking and drinking this spiritual food, we are nourished spiritually. God has given us what we need. We worship Him for that. We praise Him for that. Every Sunday by Sunday, we're proclaiming this gospel. We're proclaiming that He saves. We're, pro we're proclaiming, we're, we're, we're speaking to our kids who are watching us eat and drink. And we're proclaiming to those who are unbelievers in our midst that Jesus and Jesus alone, He's the one who sa satisfied the wrath of God. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one who turned away my punishment. Praise be to Jesus. Sunday by Sunday, when we eat and drink, we are reaffirming our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Sunday by Sunday when, we, Sunday, when we eat and drink, we are remembering that He loved us with a great love, a love that goes beyond common love in our culture, but a love that gives away everything for the benefit of others. We proclaim that He died for us in great love, though we did not deserve it. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And also as we gather, as we eat as one, the one loaf, as it were, represents the one body. Eating together, recognizing the body that Jesus died for her just like he died for me. Jesus died for her just like he died for me. Jesus died for him just like he died for me. What a moment of worship where we celebrate that he's creating for himself a vast crowd of saints that will be with him forever in the kingdom of God. We, we proclaim that all of us enter heaven by the same means, Jesus Christ alone, His death and His resurrection. He paid it all. He accomplished our salvation. And there are many things, many other things that we're proclaiming as well. It's subtle, intangible, but powerful. And so Paul is saying, when you come and you're not recognizing the Lord, you're, you're treating, treating Him as trivial. That's not the Lord's Supper. And when you come and you're not thinking about others and your oneness with them, if you allow divisions in your life to happen in our community, there are still great divisions of race in our community. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to process it. But there's still racism here, divisions in our community. We cannot come to the table and pretend 
that we are different. In Jesus Christ, we're all the same. So we worship. We be careful. There's classes in our society as well of wealthy and poor. We as Christians dare not bring that into the church. We treat everybody the same way in Jesus Christ. For they are redeemed just as I am redeemed by grace and grace alone. No better than me. No worse than me. I've been made worthy only by the blood of the Lamb. I've been made acceptable only by His sacrifice and His sacrifice alone. We, we, we celebrate that. We remember that. We dare not make a mockery of the table by living as the world does in relation to people, especially in relation to the church of Jesus Christ. But there's a second issue that struggled, um, that, that, that continued to have a struggle in Corinth. If you look at, uh, and, and I want to kind of explain this to you because it, it's often a, a frustrating thing for us and uh, something that uh, doesn't make sense to us in our day and our age. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, um, it was a sitting, uh, a regular setting, a, a regular event in Corinth to go and eat at the temple of idols. The Christians had grown up with it. It was their social, social way of networking. It was their social way of, like, we, they didn't have restaurants, so to speak, like we do. They'd go to these temples of these idols, and they'd, uh, they'd actually make offerings, as it were, to the idols of those temples. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are they not those who ate the sacrifices, participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that idols is anything? No, I imply that what the pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Therefore, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And the rhetorical question is no. <laughs> we shouldn't. The answer is no, we shouldn't. And so what was happening? So the, the people grew up uh, before they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many gods in Corinth... And you go to that temple, and, and every, every regular time of, of these, these feasts, they, they'd have these meals. And what they would do is they would, uh, in cups, your cup, they'd pour a libation. They, they'd pour a little bit of wine in there. And what you did was you poured it out to the god of the temple. Then they'd, then they'd fill your cup with wine, and you'd drink it. And so you were fellowshipping, as it were, with that god, in communion with that god. Okay. And there was other things that happened as well. But the Corinthians, now that they've come to Christ, and, and if you read through 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about knowledge puffing up. <laughs> A knowledge. And, and they would say, Paul, why are you getting after us? See, Paul, when, when they came to Christ, he said, don't go to those temples anymore. Don't do that anymore. That's wrong. But after he left, they, they, they started going back again 
Because in their minds, hey, we know, Paul, that the idols aren't anything. There's only one God. There's no other gods like that. We know it. And even though the people around us, they're actually worshiping these gods, we don't. See, they wanted to keep in fellowship, in community with their neighbors and their friends. And so they kept going to these temples and, oh, we know this is fake. We know that's not real. And Paul's like, wow, really, you guys know a lot. You guys are so full of yourselves. And you're just going to keep doing what you want to do because you want to do it, right? And so he tells them, uh, when you come to the table, what, what are you doing? Um, Israel, when they offered sacrifices at the altar of the temple and the tabernacle, what was happening there? When they brought their sacrifices, the, the priest, you know, after slitting the throat and catching the blood, they'd take some of the blood and, and sprinkle it on the, on the, on the, on the basin uh, uh, as a sign of, of acceptance, some of the meat, after it was slaughtered, depending on the sacrifice, it would be placed on the altar and it would be cooked. Some was given to Yahweh, the Lord, and some was brought back to eat with the people of Israel. Sometimes the priests, sometimes the offerers would eat with it. And so uh, there was this communion happening, this participation, this worship and relationship, this fellowship with the Lord. And Paul is saying, now that you've come to the table, when, when you eat and drink, there's something sacred happening here where, where you are fellowshipping with God. You're sharing in a relationship with God. You're participating with Jesus and this koinonia, this fellowship, this unity. Don't you guys go to those other gods anymore? Eat, and you don't realize it. Of course, I agree with you, Paul says. Those aren't real gods. They're man-made gods. There's only one God. Every other religion in the world, every other God that is out there, it's man-made. But don't you realize why some of the religion has such a power on people? Why it has such an anchor in people's lives? Why it has such a hold on people? Because Satan and the demons are working behind the scenes. They're active in these religions. They're active in these ceremonies. They're active in these participatory celebrations. And so when you do that libation, when you participate in other ways with these false gods, you're actually fellowshipping with them in a way you don't understand. You're opening your life to demonic activity. But sometimes around here, we hear of people, Christians, so I, yeah, I go up to Crestone and sometimes I participate in some of those temple rites and I go here and there and I participate in, in other religions and Paul would say, oh, you think you're so smart. You've come to participate, you've come to fellowship, you've come to relationship through this act as a, as a symbol of your faith, as a symbol of your relationship with God, you're connecting with Him. You can't go in, in fellowship and have relationship with other gods at the same time, can you? Theoretically, you could, but God is a jealous God. As a spouse would not respond well to a spiritual to adultery, God will not respond well to your spiritual adultery and worshiping other gods. So it's a warning that we are not polytheists. We're, we're not worshiping that God when it suits us. We're not worshiping that God when we desire, and that God, if it hits us another way, in a good way, consuming that God's power, that God's blessings, that God's resources. No, we have one God and we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father, Son, and Spirit is our God.
We are Trinitarian monotheists. We exalt him and him alone. So how shall we approach this table? I mean, these, these scenes and these settings, they're, they're kind of foreign to our day. And let me explain a little bit more about proper worship, a proper uh, commemorating of Jesus' death. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. These uh, verses have often struck fear into people's hearts. They wonder if perhaps they're doing it wrong. Let me explain. Whoever, therefore, verse 27, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. <clears throat> He's going back to the situation that he was addressing initially in chapter 11. They're not discerning the body of Christ. They're not recognizing the church. They're consuming for themselves. He's saying, before you come to the table, examine your life. Examine your ways pertaining to them. He's speaking to the rich people, especially the powerful in the day. He's saying, you've come to the table in an unworthy way. You should have examined yourself. You should have judged yourself. When you look down on your brother or sister, when you treat them with contempt, when you humiliate them, this is wrong. Jesus died for this person. Jesus gave his life for this person. This, this person belongs to Jesus. He, he or she is a saint that will live forever in the kingdom of God. And so he's calling out their sin of classism, their sin of separating others is less than important or less valuable, calling out their sin of selfishness. For us, when we come to this passage, it, uh, it's a little bit harder to understand or a little bit difficult to process. Let me tell you what he's not saying. Um, over the years, people have called me in a panic and said, I don't think I can, I can eat the Lord's Supper this Sunday. I don't think I can come to worship this Sunday. Why? Well, I've sinned. Yeah. I think most people sin during the week. No, you don't understand. I, I've, I've, I've sinned. I'm, I'm unworthy. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I, I, I can't come. Because if I come and I eat and I drink, God might kill me. You know, it's, on one hand, it's, it's, it's really good to hear people really take the word seriously. 
and understand the word seriously um, and, and try to apply it to their life seriously. But hear this, you guys. If, if, uh, if we had to be worthy in and of ourselves to participate in this act, who would be worthy? If we uh, had to live up to a certain level of righteousness and holiness to be able to worship at the table, would you be worthy? Would you be able to come? I think if we took this as a, as a, a, a way of thinking about this, examine yourself, judge yourself, if you find yourself unworthy, don't come, I think Sunday by Sunday the church would be empty because none of us are worthy. We're only made worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're only made worthy and acceptable through what He's accomplished and what He's done. He died for our sins. He turned away the wrath of God. We have His righteousness now through faith in Jesus Christ. We're only worthy because of Jesus taking our sins, removing our sins, cleansing us, and Him giving us His righteousness. So don't think about it like that. Don't think about, man, um, I've sinned so much I, I just can't do it. No. To examine yourself and judge yourself means that you confess your sins. And so a pattern that some people go through, a pattern that people talk about or, or uh, take in their life is, and maybe this is a rhythm that you need to get into. Maybe on a Saturday night or a Friday afternoon or maybe Sunday at 3 in the morning, whatever your schedule is. Come and examine yourself. Bring before the Lord your week. If you find that there's sin that is unconfessed, confess it and ask for forgiveness. If you see that there's a way of living in your life that you're in bondage to, bring it before the Lord and ask for deliverance. Turn it over to Him. Commit to change. Commit to becoming that person that Jesus wants you to be. See, God looks at the heart. God knows your desire. God knows your passion. God knows that you want to serve Him and honor Him and glorify Him. Judge yourself so that you won't be judged. Man, what it's saying there is, hey, turn around, you Corinthians. Stop living in classism. Stop separating yourself from other people because of whatever reason, whatever distinction they have. Get rid of that sin in your life. Repent, confess, turn around. And then come and worship at the table as one who has received the grace of God and, re and recognize Him and glorify Him and what He's accomplished in your life. D does that make sense? The fact of the matter is God takes this gathering as a holy gathering. It's not something to be trifled with or something to be sniffed at or something, oh, look at the time. When we gather in the Lord's presence, it's an act of worship. The Lord is present, and we come to Him as worshipers. We come to Him responding to His invitation to eat and drink, to remember. And yes, we don't come 
living a life during the week that is wicked and then coming in pretending or thinking that now I can easily partake, right? Easily can live in the presence of this God. The whole Testament is testimony to that falsehood that you can pretend to be a holy person on Sunday mornings, but during the rest of your life you're stealing from people or cheating people or hating people or wrecking people or all the rest of the things that Israel did. No, God calls us to examine ourselves and calls us to change, calls us to become the people that He wants us to be, but again, it's only by His grace that we come. By His forgiveness, by His mercy, by His sacrifice, we are made whole. So we come Sunday by Sunday. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to exalt Him and worship Him. We come to commemorate His death. We come to remember that He's coming back. We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This is a table of remembrance, but it's also a table of promise. May we worship Him in spirit and truth. May we worship Him as He so richly desires. As a people who are thankful, a people who have been graced with His love first. Worship team, would you please come? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this commemoration that you've commanded us to participate in. We pray that in Sundays by Sundays ahead, that it would also be always be a ceremony where your worshipers are gathered, having examined themselves and judged themselves and repented and confessed sins and turned towards you. May it be a, a celebration that you're worthy of. I May mean, you be glorified in it and honored in it. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this, uh, this past season of these sermons on worship. We ask that you would use them all for your glory and honor and praise, that worshipers would arise, Lord, and that uh, you'd always be the one receiving our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.